Welcome to another episode of The Gospelpreneur, where we explore Bible secrets to prospering in wealth, health, relationships, and faith. Your host, Brother Andre, digs deeply into biblical science and practical applications while encouraging growth in all areas of our lives. So if you're ready to grow, let's enjoy this journey to biblical abundance. Here's Brother Andre. All right, friends, let's get ready to study. I know that I'm not smart enough or intelligent enough to communicate the realities of the gospel to you. So let's get into it. Now, it's, before I even do that, I just want to say I've spent so much time in this one section of our study. And I think every time that God has me do this, he's doing this on purpose. <laughs> like he never does anything by accident in the first place, but the hours that I spend in organizing the PowerPoint and then the hours that are spent in in just getting getting um, the lessons written, it takes so much time. I'm grateful that God has me doing it because it's almost like I'm looking, it's, it's like in slow motion, right? It's like I'm in slow motion going through the study and picking up things that I never would have gotten if I had just been reading, reading straight through. So I am very grateful that the Most High has allowed me to share this with you. I believe I am receiving quite a bit and I can't wait to go through it again. In other words, like when we're done with lesson 17 and we've gone through it all, I think for me, I'm going to go through it again because I want these truths to be anchored in my soul and my spirit so I can be a Christian. I want to be a Christian all the way through, not theoretically, not intellectually ascending the information, but I want to be a Christian all the way through my experience. And I, and as I've been going through this, I've been humbled and God has been speaking to me uh, in, re in regards to my relationship with him. So I'm going to encourage you uh, as you're listening, uh, take notes, prayerfully listen, inspiration speaks, you know, ask God to really make you a Christian all the way in your heart, not just theoretically, not we can argue a point and win, but literally the Holy Ghost can live in our lives. So let's get started. Let's start with a word of prayer. And Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for your grace and mercy. I want to thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, for giving us what your dear son does. And Lord, as we're about to open our Bibles, as we're about to read inspiration, we need your help. There's nothing good in me. There's nothing good in any individual that's listening right now. But there's something about you that is wonderful and magnificent that is wise beyond our years and so, so much better than what we think you are. I pray, Father, that in this moment in time that you will give us a clear revelation of your character and that at the end of the day, Lord, we will learn to love you and serve you with everything that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. I am so excited. Let's get ready. Get ready to study. Our topic tonight is test of loyalty. Test of loyalty. Moved by love, seen in action. Test of loyalty. Moved by love, seen in action. So we've been talking about this day after day as we've been together. But there is a reality 
that from time to time, Christianity has been given a surface approach, uh, a superficial painting. You know, with all the trouble that's happening in our world today and all the crises that are there, the world needs and is longing for a manifestation of the person and character of Jesus Christ. We read here in the book, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, therefore, if any man, speed of mankind, be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I'll be honest with you, friends. I've read this text over and over and over, over the many years that I've been around the body of Christ. And the more I read it, my heart is in rebellion against it. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. So I read it and it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so this is a declaration from God to us, a declaration of his word to us, a promise that God is giving to us. Now, the reason why I find this difficult for me is because even though it says I am a new creature, I see my old self. Does that make sense to you? Like I'm supposed to be a new creature. I'm supposed to be this and that, but I see my old self. So this is where the last time we talked, which was too long ago now, but the last time we talked on a Friday night, we talked about this idea of faith and faith holding on to the, de the declaration of the word of God over what I'm seeing with my own eyes. And so here the Bible says, and I read it again, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now that declaration by itself, you must hold on to by faith. By faith, not because you see it, not because you feel it, not because you feel important, but because it the, the word declares it. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is our key text for our study this evening. So let's go further here. It says a change. Now, before we read the quote, before I read the quote, I want you to see John chapter 3, verse 8. Go to John chapter 3 and verse 8. And notice what the Bible says. And you know the story well. This is, this is Jesus interacting with Nicodemus. And as Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus, they have this profound conversation that is held in this book for the annals of time. And Jesus says this to him, The wind bloweth where it listeth. And now here is the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You know, sometimes I hear folks say, you know, I was born again on this day, this and that day, and this. And I listen. And then if you realize, my friends, before you even knew there was a Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was working on you. Before you even knew that you were to love righteousness and hate evil, the things that you thought were good and, and righteous, and they were actually good and righteous, that was the Holy Ghost working on you, whether you knew it or not. You, you follow what I'm saying? Like this idea, this idea that 
on this day I was born again, the Holy Spirit is always working. And I want to I want to read this to you. It says, a change will be seen in the character, the habits, the pursuits. The contrast will be clear and decided between what they have been and what they are. The character is revealed not by, watch this now, this is very important, not by occasional good deeds and occasional misdeeds, but by the tendency of the habitual words and acts. So how am I converted? How do I know I've, 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 I've gone into a state of conversion? My friends, we're going to go deeper into this idea because there are many who have the, the trappings of Christianity but don't have Christ himself. And so we're, we're going to encourage you, I'm going to encourage you, examine yourself as you go through this. And I promise you, as you do this, you're going to gain sympathy for sinners. Listen to me now. You're going to gain sympathy for sinners. And, and I say that because as I was going through the text and as I was studying and I'm going through my, my personal crises, I realized something that humanity will never, and I'm saying this to you guys, humanity will never be able to give you what you deserve. Meaning if you want love, humanity in its natural self won't be able to do it for you. If you're looking for peace to be given to you by your spouse or by your by your children, naturally, they will never be able to fulfill what only divine intervention can do. We often become disappointed by individuals or persons who are not really converted. And I say this with, with fear and trepidation, because I don't want you to, I don't want you to walk away from this thinking everybody's horrible and everyone's bad. But I do want you to walk away from this thinking everyone's horrible and everyone's bad without Jesus. And we need to lower expectations for unconverted people and treat them like the souls that need to be saved. Does that make sense? Let's go a little further with this. So here's a story. And you guys are familiar with this story. We have the Pharisee and the publican, right? And the Pharisee and the publican, the Pharisee's out there beating his chest, He's saying, I praise God and I'm not like so-and-so, that I don't do X, Y, Z. And the publican's like, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, I wanted to bring this out because there are principles here in this story that, that apply. So look at this. When you're looking at superficial and genuine conversion, here are some things you need to be cautious of. Cautious of. Outward correctness of deportment is not conversion. Somebody may be a good preacher or teacher or a good educator, or they just might be a nice person, right? And they may be doing that because they love influence. They may be doing nice things and pay for all the poor to be fed and give away cars to everybody, but they may be doing that for the esteem of others. Or you may just be like, you know what? I'm not going to do that because I have self-respect for myself and I don't want to look like I'm a bad person. Huh? None of these things are an indication that you are converted. They are superficial. The inward component is selfishness. 
So you can, and this is why, go go with me for a moment. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is why this passage makes so much more sense when you read it, understanding that superficial conservatism will never be a means of entering heaven. Just because you don't do doesn't mean that you are a Christian. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, notice what the Bible says. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could move mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Watch this next one. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me. What does it say, my friends? Nothing. So it's apparent to me, it's very clear to me that your outward and my outward conformity to norms or religious culturalism or Adventist culture is not conversion because you can feed the poor and still be lost. You hear what I'm saying? You can be a martyr and die in the name of Jesus and still be lost because the motives are not pure. They are not clean. They are for the sake of superficialism. Oh, he's a pious man. He prays every day. Oh, he's a good preacher. No, none of that matters, friends. What matters is, do you have a deep, abiding relationship with Christ where love is manifested and you know you're on God's side. So the question is, I raised the question, I raised the question, how do we decide or how do we even know whose side we are on? Now this is deep. I'm telling you friends, when you start investigating this and dealing with your own heart, you'll find that this is a challenge. So here's some questions you want to ask yourself. Ask yourself these questions. Question number one, who has your heart? Like at the, like when you wake up in the morning and you're talking to your friends, are, is your conversation, the majority of your conversation about business? Is the, more, is the joy of your life, when you wake up in the morning, the majority of your conversation, is it about work? Is about your children? What, what brings you the greatest joy to talk about? The greatest joy to contemplate about? What are you thinking about? To whom do you converse? Do you long to bear his image, breathe his spirit, to do his will? What is it that drives you? You know how they say when you're in business, you need to know your why. You're in ministry. What is your why? You peel it back. What is your motivation at the end of the day? Do you long to please him in all things? You got, you got to ask yourself these questions. And as you're asking yourself these questions, I begin to ask myself these questions when I'm talking to my friends on, on the phone or if I'm doing different things. What do I love to talk about? Do I love to talk about basketball? Is that, is that what I talk about all the time? Or oh, the new movie that comes out. Is that is that what you love to talk about all the time? When you're sitting and you're contemplating, my friends, I'm, I'm asking you, when you are sitting and contemplating, 
Are you thinking about your trials and tribulations in the context of Jesus Christ being the one that can solve all your problems? Or are you sitting in contemplation of your problems and just letting your problems just destroy you? Like, that's what you're thinking about. My problems, your joy, your peace, your long-suffering, all, all these things come from your beholding, your beholding and spending time with Jesus. The Christian must be honest. That's right, Brother Charles, Sister Esther. That's right. We must be honest with our answers to these questions. What do you love? And if you find yourself not loving to converse about Jesus, not loving to converse about his work, not loving to, to contemplate and meditate upon what he's done, then you have to ask yourself, am I truly, deeply in love with him or not? Because I tell you the truth, if you begin your Christian walk and you are not in love with Jesus, that which would normally be done out of love becomes a chore and a burden. Are you following? It becomes a chore and a burden. So watch this. Sabbath keeping becomes a burden. <laughs> Sabbath keeping becomes a burden. Why would it be a burden? Because what am I doing? What, what, what am I doing? I'm simply going to church. It's not that I'm in love with Jesus. It's not that I want to fellowship with him. It's not that I want to block off all the trials and tribulations. In fact, I'll tell you this. When you go to church, sometimes church makes you mad because the folks in church ain't right. So what you going to church for? Right? You start thinking the reality. Where does my love truly lie? And for me... <laughs> As I was preparing throughout the week and as I was preparing, even in the hours of today, I said to my father, Father, I don't love you the way I want to love you. Teach me how to love you more. You have to ask yourself these questions. If you don't ask these questions, my friends, you may find yourself wanting to stand true to God in the last hours of verse history and then really turning your back on him because you're not anchored in the relationship and in his word. All right, let's go forward. So everybody knows about the fruit of the spirit. I want you to go to first Peter, first Peter chapter three, before I get to the fruit of the spirit, go to first Peter chapter three. Let's look at a passage here. First Peter chapter three. And my friends, as we're digging deep, I my passion, my desire is, you know, the troubles that are coming upon this world, they're going to come. Like, I'm not going to be up all night uh, overly concerned about something I can't control. What I am going to do, I'm going to take it to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to agonize with him. And then I'm going to say, Lord, do a self-inventory. Self-inventory. Lord, where do I stand with you? What do I need to do? with you in preparation for what is about to come upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. And right now, as things are unfolding in other countries, I mean, it's bad, friends. That is just a foretaste of what's about to break upon the world. And in my mind, I'm saying, oh, Lord, teach us how to be anchored in you. <laughs> so First Peter chapter 3, I want you to look at verse number 3. Notice. Am I doing that right? First Peter 3, 3. Yes. Notice this. 
And this is not about jewelry per se, but I'm going to I'm going to touch it. Watch this. In 1 Peter 3 3, it says, Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and the wearing of gold or of putting on apparel. Now, why would I bring this text up? Because what this is mentioning is superficial beauty, whether it's jewelry, whether it's nice clothes. But it's talking about the superficial covering that gives a false reality to what's actually there. Now, if you, the way I dress right now, the, the way I look, I you know, I know I can do better, <laughs> right? I, there's more exercise that can be done, more muscles that can can be developed. These clothes hide a multitude of sin. Are you following what I'm saying? It's a superficial covering. But the Bible brings out in verse four, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of what? A meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So what do I want? I want a meek and quiet spirit. I want to make sure that my heart is adorned with the spirit of God. You guys know these, these, past, these uh, fruits of the spirit? Or the fruit of the spirit. Sorry, it's only one fruit. It just has different flavors. <laughs> so the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Now, my friends, this is the fruit of the spirit. It didn't say the fruits of the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit. One fruit, many flavors. Now. I want you to think about your life for a moment. I want you to think about the person that gets on your nerves. Think about, don't think about them too long. I don't want you to get stressed out. But I want you to think about the person that has gotten on your last nerve, the one that has betrayed you, the one that has not treated you well. That person you have in mind. Now, I want you to go back to the fruit of the spirit, and I want you to look at the one that says long-suffering. Hmm? Long-suffering means that you are under duress. You are under duress, and in the midst of said duress, you are suffering for a long period of time. It didn't say it's a short time of suffering. It's long-suffering. You are under duress, and the Bible says long-suffering and is kind. Can you imagine that? That's that's uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and that's Galatians chapter 5. So long-suffering and kind. So in the midst of being treated unkindly, you are still kind i didn't say you're a pushover or a sap i didn't say that you don't have to be a sap you can speak up when they smack jesus in the face jesus said why did you smack me right so he didn't say you can't speak up but in the midst of that suffering my friends there is a supernatural thing that takes place in the heart that bears fruit now notice i said it bears fruit because naturally you don't have this ability but let's go a little bit further these are the fruit of the spirit peace do you have peace? Do you have peace in the midst of your storm? Peace. Gentleness. Do you know how to be gentle? Meek. Temperate. These are all things or characteristics that come from fellowship with God. And you can't have one. Listen to me. You can't have one without the other. Because this all comes in one package. 
This call comes in one package. It's one fruit, not many fruits. It's one fruit. And so if you're lacking faith, if you're lacking meekness, if you're lacking temperance, if you're lacking long-suffering, it's okay to be honest that I don't have what heaven says I should have. Because most of us have been living off of our feelings and our emotions, and we have lost sight of the word that is our anchor. But also notice, there's a second list. Now, it's interesting that in Galatians, it lists the fruit of the spirit, but then when it lists the, the works of the flesh, it's actually much longer. The works of the flesh are much longer. Uh, it goes on, and it says this, adultery is a work of the flesh. Fornication is the work of the flesh. Uncleanness is the work of the flesh. Lasciviousness is a work of the flesh. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variant, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, or murders, drunkenness, and revelings, and the Bible says, and such the like, meaning that there are more indications of the works of the flesh. So I'm going to ask you a question. And again, you have to answer honestly for yourself. I cannot answer for you. God himself is your witness. When you go through that list of the works of the flesh, do you manifest any of those? Have I manifested any of those? And in manifesting them, my friends, it may not be that you're actually doing them. You may just delight in folks that do them. What do you mean by that, Andre? Well, let's take it, let's take it like this. The works of the flesh, if you don't practice, but you enjoy watching, then you yourself are vicariously living that darkness in your life. I hope you're following what I'm saying. So if you're if you're watching, if you you don't commit adultery, right? You don't commit adultery, but you watch, you like watching it on TV. Like that's something you watch. Or you don't want to fight, you're not fighting people, but you're watching it on television. What's happening is you are enjoying it. You're being entertained by it. And the spirit of God does not rest in a person who is taking pleasure in those things. So we got to be honest. Like, I have to be honest with myself. Like, you and I have to be honest with ourselves. We like darkness. That's that's the truth. We do. For some reason, we want to be dark. For some reason, we want to hold on to these strange things. For some... Let's just be honest. We like darkness. So this is the beautiful thing about God. He already knows. It's not like we got to make it up. Like it's it's not like we got to make it up. It's it's literally he knows already. Like there's nothing you can hide from him. And because there's nothing you can hide from him, there's no need to pit a pat around. No no need to dance around it. Father, this is where I'm at. And my friends, persons who hold that line who say, Father, this is where I'm at, have a better chance of being saved than the individual who covers their life in superficial religiosity and goes to church. The Bible calls it a lukewarm state. So we don't want lukewarm state. You follow what I'm saying? Like we need to be honest. He said, I'd rather have you hot or cold. I don't want you in the middle. In the middle, you get spewed out. 
But if you're cold and you acknowledge that you're cold, now I can do something for you. Notice the cold is not spewed out. If you're hot, great. Praise God. You're hot. He doesn't spew hot out. He doesn't spew hot out. He doesn't spew cold out. He spews lukewarm out. And I'm saying to you, my friends, we need to wake up out of lukewarm. Lukewarm's not going to cut it. Lukewarm Christianity needs to go. It needs to go. We need to be on fire for God. Or we just need to be cold and be honest. Lord, I'm not where I need to be. Help. Help me. Help me. And the more we cry for help, the more he's willing to help us, my friends. The more we cry out, and listen to me, it's not, it's not that we have to cry out for him to hear. The cry out is really for us to as a recognition that we can't do it. Does that make sense? Like, he, we barely have to say a word, and he's already ready to do it. Like, I know how I am with my with my family, with my wife and my daughter. If they, if they barely say, hey, that I want, boom, I want to do it before they even finish the sentence. So I know God is much more loving and kind than I am. So I know he's ready to help before you even say a word. He's You breathe it. He's there. But the crying out is you and I acknowledging that we don't have anything good inside of us. So we need the spirit of God. I need the fruit of the spirit in my life. And I can't make it come. Like you cannot make fruit of the spirit come. It is a supernatural experience. So how do we get it? That's a good question. Let's go forward. Steph to Christ, page 59, paragraph 1 says, There is no evidence of genuine repentance unless it works reformation. Interesting. If he restore the pledge, give again that he had robbed, confess his sins, and love God and his fellow men, the sinner may be sure that he has passed from death unto life. Now, friends, let's pause here for a moment. I need you to think about what that just said. Let's just say for a moment, you, uh, when you were younger, uh, like me, I'll give you an example for me. So when I was younger, I would steal things from the store. Small things like baseball cards, watches, things like this. I almost got caught once and I ditched it and I didn't get caught. However, point being, I would, I would steal. When I became a Christian, I am painfully aware that I stole, right? So what am I to do when you become a Christian? If you have done such a thing, you don't just say to God, sorry, God, I did steal. Please forgive me for my sins. No, what you do is you seek to restore that which you have taken. Now, I'm using a physical thing because a physical thing you can more relate to, like you stole baseball cards. Okay, you have to pay for those baseball cards. You stole fruit from the store, you have to give the fruit back. But if you have emotionally hurt someone and you have not sought to restore, you still hold that problem, my friend. If you have done something wrong to somebody 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and you have not sought to restore that issue, and mind you, they may not want to hear from you. They may say, you know what, I don't, I don't want to hear from you. You get on my nerves. I can't stand you. That's on them. But for you as a believer, you must seek to restore that which you have taken. 
And I know for me, I have a lot of restoring to do. There's a lot of people I got to talk to. I'm not going to walk around here, act like I got it all. Nope. There's folks I need to talk to. There are folks I need to confess to. There are folks I need to hug, right? There are folks I need to show myself, show my face and say, you know what? I am sorry. I was wrong. And when you confess, you are specific. Because if you don't do this, my friends, and you walk around doing religious things, all you're doing is covering, you're covering, but you're not really reformed on the inside. You say, but Brother Andre, what if someone's died and I can't reach them? That's different. That's different. What if they were so long ago I can't find them? Did you try to find them? Did you try to restore? There is no evidence of genuine repentance unless it works reformation. If he restore the pledge, give again that he had robbed, confess his sins, and love God and his fellow men, the sinner may be sure. The sinner may be sure that he is passed from death unto life. There's much I must do, my friends. We must redeem the time. It is time for us to make sure there is nothing between us and our Savior, that there's nothing between us and our fellow man that we can take care of straight away. And if it takes time, it takes time. If it takes, you have to stop doing so. It's just so important to make sure there's nothing between. Nothing between. Let's go further, my friend. I'm telling you, today, as I was preparing, I was like, Father, there is so much more preparation. I don't know if you've ever, uh, 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 so over here in the lodge, right, we, we are stripping the floors, you know, tearing them down. We have to do some sanding on the pillars. We got to, we got to, you know, we're making it shellacking. Anyway, I went over there today. I had the movers move everything out of the lodge so that we can do the floors and everything. And I went over there. And I walked in. I had two thoughts. I'm only going to share one of the thoughts I had. The Lord was speaking to my mind. And the Lord said to me, Andre, sometimes I have to tear everything down in order to build back up. And the Lord said to me, Andre, what you're doing with these floors and what you're doing with this building, I am doing to you. I am stripping you all the way down. Now, it's interesting, friends. When I was over there, like when we bought this property in 2015, when we came, everything was furnished. Like the couches were here, the chairs were here, tables were here. Everything's already furnished. The beds were all here. The Lord really blessed us, right? Everything was here. For the first time since 2015, the place is empty. Spirit said, Andre, I have to tear things down before I can build them back up. And so this is what the Lord's been doing, my friends. As we've been going through these studies, the Lord's been breaking me down. The building blocks of Christian character, the building blocks of just being a Christian, starting over. You know, there's nothing wrong with starting over. There's nothing wrong with starting over. Embrace it, my friends. Become new Christians today. New believers today. I'm not saying join the church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying become a believer in Jesus Christ, and you will be part of a church. It's just what it is. I want you to open your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Again, I find these passages initially to be strange. In Matthew chapter 11, and we're looking at verse 28, notice what the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, the Bible says, Come unto me, 
all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Stop. Anybody in this group labor and heavy laden? Anybody work hard? Anybody going through life right now? You stressed out? That's a call to you and me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a promise. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I'm going to give you rest. Now watch what it says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find, what does it say, my friends? Rest for your souls. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been under attack for months. I mean months. And it's been a bombardment of a bombardment of a bombardment. It's like, boom, 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 boom. And I'm just like, whoa, Lord, I know you measure away every temptation before you let it come upon a believer. But can you can you hold up? Can you can you hold can you hold a couple of these things back for me just for a time? And I go to this text and I read it. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And then this part, this is the part that boggles my mind for my yoke is easy and my burden is light now friends i'm gonna tell you this in order for your yoke to be easy and for the burden to be light you must truly rest in jesus because you yourself can barely handle the little temptation that comes I myself can barely handle the little temptation that comes. I must, this is, the, this is the hard part for the Christian. Take my hands off my problem. Anybody listening? <laughs> Listen, take your hands off. Stop trying, you stop trying to solve the problem. You take it to the Lord in prayer. That's how it gets, the burden becomes light because you are putting the weight of the burden on the one that has infinite strength. The problem is we try to bear the burden. Stop trying to bear the burden. You go to Jesus. You leave it at his feet. It's not, I tell you the truth, I have never prayed more in my life. I've never cried more in my life than these past few months. And I know the reality is this because I have been trying to bear my own burden. I need to go to Jesus and I need to leave the burden at his feet so that he can bear it. He said, this is what he said. My yoke is easy. Is God a liar? No, he's not. My burden is light. Is he a liar? He is not. Therefore, it's almost like, I don't know if you guys ever, you know, you have children. And so you you have a little person and they want to show themselves strong, right? So they want to show themselves strong. They try to pick up something that's really heavy and you come behind them a little bit and you give them a little, you, you're the one bearing most of the burden, right? You're actually carrying the majority of the weight, but they got their hand on the bag like they're doing something special. 
right? They look like they, they look like they're struggling with that thing, you know. They but you got the weight. Like you're really the one carrying the burden of the of the weight. The child just has a little bit. The little bit that God gives us, my friend, is for our growth. It's for our development. And if we are in that process with him, allowing him to strengthen us, but at the same time, the weight of it, my friends, is on him, then that means you can trust him, friend. Oh, not, not, woe is me. Why is this happening to me again? No, no, no. Father, I don't know what you intend with this, but I'm going to trust you. Huh? I don't know what you intend with this. I, I, I feel the burden and the, and the shame that comes with it, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to praise your name anyhow. My friends, when you do this, your mind begins to adjust and to shift. Your mind begins to adjust and to shift. So no longer is the burden so much a burden as it is now. I am trusting the one that has infinite strength, infinite wisdom, can be present at all times in any time and place. And therefore, I know that he, he has thoughts of peace towards me, says the Lord, to give me an expected end. So this is when <laughs> sacrifice becomes a pleasure. This is when duty becomes a delight. That's when the dark paths become bright ones. You know how they become bright ones? Do you know how they become pleasant ones? Do you know how they become delightful? It's because now you are no longer depending upon yourself. You have put your weight upon Christ, and he is the one that is now giving you this experience with him. Now, this is why Peter, uh, I believe it's Peter, he says, count it all joy when you, when you go into diverse temptations. When he says that, he's talking about those trials and tribulations. Why are you counting all joy? Because God has designed them to refine you and to refine me for something greater. So God must have something big in store for you if you're going through a hardship, my friend. That's what I say. I start rejoicing now. God must have something big in store for me, having me go through all this struggle, <laughs> all this pain. In 1 John 4, 19, I want you to keep this in mind. It says, we love him because he first loved us. No, we don't love him. We don't love him first. He loves us first. He initiates his love towards us first. And in that love originating from him, it awakens love within us. Are you following? In other words, he's the um, mover. He is the initiator. You and I don't even initiate our love for, for each other. Without him, there is no love for each other. So we love him because he, he loves us. Again, where am I putting the weight of this one? I'm putting the weight of the responsibility of loving God back on God himself because he's done it. He's the one saying it. We love him because he first, because he first loved us. Let's go a little bit further with this, my friends. Now I want you to see this. Now what does love, what does the love of God do. Now, this is this you you got you got listen, man. I think we bypass the love of God and we go straight to what we're supposed to do. And then when we get straight to what we're supposed to do, it becomes a burden. But if you have the love of God in your heart and you are spending time with the most high, 
The love of God modifies the character. The love of God governs the impulses, controls the passions, subdues enmity or hatred, ennobles the affections, sweetens the life, sheds an influence on all around. This is what the love of God does. It's like a temperature gauge, right? So he loves us. It's his responsibility. He says, the, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He takes the burden upon himself. He initiates the love. That love modifies my character, governs my impulses, controls my passions, subdues enmity, ennobles the affection, sweetens the life, sheds an influence all around. Now, why is this important? Because you cannot do everything that's listed there without love for God. And you can't make up love for God. You can't make it up. I think I already told you the story, but it just comes to my mind even as I'm talking to you. When I was wrestling, when I was a much younger lad, and I had had this argument with my sister, and I had, we had this fight, and I was upset, and I was in the basement, and I was cussing at God, and I was being honest with God. And the Spirit of God came to me and told me to go talk to my father. And I went upstairs to talk to my dad. And I literally said to my dad, who was a minister at the time, I hate God. Now, to most people, don't ever say stuff like that. That's what they would say. Don't say stuff like that. But for me, it wasn't like I was planning to say it. It was the reality of my experience was so frustrating that I was sick and tired of trying. <laughs> I, was sick and I was sick and tired of trying to be what God wanted me to be. And it was in that moment in time that God could do something for me. Are you following? I'm not saying you shouldn't try. I'm not saying that you should cuss God out. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the faster we come to a point of realizing that I do not have anything inside of me that is going to approach to modify my character, govern my impulses, control my passions, subdue the enmity, uh, make me a better person, and recognizing that everything good comes from him, then my dependence becomes much greater and God can do for me faster if I come to that position in my life. So if everybody on the line, everybody watching on Facebook, everybody watching on YouTube, whoever you're watching, whoever hears this two years from now, the faster you come to the position in your, in your experience where you say to yourself and you acknowledge in reality as you spend time with God, I am nothing and Christ is everything. He is my love. He is my joy. He is my peace. He is my understanding. He is my wisdom. He is my strength. He is my God. He is my king. He is my lover. The, the faster we come to that position, the less time we'll have to worry about how bad we are. Oh, woe is me. I don't, yes, woe is I. I is horrible. Great is he. <laughs> king of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, my friends. There are two great things I want you to remember. I want you to keep this in mind. Two great errors that you and I must guard against. These two great errors are, number one, looking to your own works. Like, you cannot look to your own works to come into harmony with God. Don't trust anything that you can do to bring yourself into harmony with God. There's nothing that you can do to bring yourself into harmony with God. 
you can't keep the Sabbath long enough, right? You can't eat good food long enough. You can't dress a reform long enough to bring yourself into harmony with God. There's only one thing that will bring you into harmony with God. You know what it is? Accepting Jesus as your personal savior. That's the one thing you can do to come in harmony with God. But there's a second error you must protect against. That second error is this, the idea that belief in Christ releases men from keeping the law of God. So on one hand, you can't keep the law in order to come into harmony with God. And on the other hand, it doesn't release you from keeping the law because you are in harmony with God. Does that make sense? So there's two errors you got to guard against. Guard against the whole, I got to work my way into heaven and guard against the whole, I don't have to do anything the word says, I'm just a sinner. Both of those are egregious errors that you must guard against. So how do we guard against it? What must we do? I'm going to point you to something. Now, on the left-hand side, I have a list of, God, of God's character. And on the right-hand side, I have a list of the law. Now, under each one of these are, def are descriptions, descriptions of the law. So God's character is holy, according to Leviticus 11.44. God's law is holy, according to Romans 7, 12. God's character is truth, according to Psalms 31, verse 5. God's law is truth, according to Malachi 2, verse 6. God's character is righteous, according to Psalms 145, verse 17. God's law is righteous. So the character is righteous and the law is righteous, Psalms 119, 172. God's character is perfect, Matthew 5, 48. God's law is perfect, Psalms 19, verse 7. God's character is spiritual, John 4, 24. God's law is spiritual, Romans 7, verse 14. God's character is eternal, 1 Timothy 1, 17. God's law is eternal, Psalms 111, 7 and 8. God's character is unchangeable, James chapter 1, verse 17. And God's law is unchangeable, Psalms 89, 34. God's character is love, 1 John 4, verse 8. God's law is love, Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. So what am I highlighting here? What am I presenting to you? That the law of God is a transcript of the character of God, and that you cannot say, I don't want to keep his law without saying, I don't want to be righteous, I don't want to be truthful, I don't want to be perfect, I don't want to have be, be spiritual, I don't want to live eternally, I don't want to have an unchangeable character, right? I want, I don't, you can't say it without saying, I don't want love. God's character and his law are intertwined. They cannot be separated one from the other. So how does it work? Let's go. What is the equation? What is it that we must do? I want you to go to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 16. Notice what the Bible says. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, it says, This is the covenant. Now watch what the covenant is. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws, where? Into their hearts and into their minds will I write them. I will put my laws into their hearts 
and into their minds will I write them. So you see, my friends, this is not something that you conjure up. This is something that is supernatural, where God himself writes his law in our hearts. And when I say his law, please understand, when we talk about laws, we're not talking about the, how the world does laws. What we're talking about is a law of love in relationship to God and relationship to man. That's what we're talking about God's law. When we say thou shall not kill, that has to do with relationship to man. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not bear false witness. These are in relation to man. Thou shall not have any other gods before me. Thou shall not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, that, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. What is that in relationship to? To God. So you have the four, top four, to God, last six to man, and the fourth commandment to man and to God, right? So it's when we talk about the law, don't think of it only as something that's written on tables of stone, or we're talking about relationships that heaven itself approves of that are not harmful to anybody in any way at any time. And the Bible says, I will write my law in their heart. What does that mean? That this will be a natural response that God has written in our hearts to other people and to him. It'll be natural. Let's go further, though. I want us to go back to another text, uh, 1 John chapter 5. Go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, we're looking at verse number 3. Notice what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 3. The Bible says, for this is the love of God. Okay, so now it's defined. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Interesting. And his commandments are not grievous. Hmm. I need you to think with me, friends. Think with me. For this is the love of God. What is the love of God? That we keep his commandments. Hmm. And his commandments are not grievous. Hmm. Have you ever heard somebody say, uh, and I've heard it recently, man, y'all don't have no fun. Y'all don't, y'all don't have no, you know, the, <laughs> anyway. Y'all don't have no fun. What do you mean? Well, y'all don't, you don't speak, you don't drink, you don't smoke. Nope, I don't drink, I don't smoke. No, I don't go to the club. That's not my life. Well, why not? Well, I don't find that to be beneficial to build the relationships that are lasting. I, I don't see the how the Bible says the wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whosoever is, is deceived by thereby is not wise. That's the word of God, right? The word of God is giving us protections, like borders so that we can maintain peace and happiness violation of those borders will yield unhappiness and continuously yield unhappiness what else what else is there first first john chapter 2 and verse 4 watch what it says first john chapter 2 and verse 4 the bible says he that saith i know him that word know means you're like in a deep relationship. He that says, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So again, we're, we're going back to this idea of being loyal to God. We're, we're going back to this idea of testing. Like it, I'll, I'll say it this way. If your child or your wife says to you, 
or your husband says to you, hey, babe, can you go to the store for me and get XYZ? Now, some of us may have a problem with that because we don't know what XYZ is. We don't know how to walk through the store. We can't find it. Okay, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the request. The request in and of itself, the request in and of itself is a test. Yeah, it is. Sweetheart, will you go do this for me? Can you imagine a, a husband saying, why do I have to go to the store for you again? I can't stand this. Why can't we have to do this? Come on now. And then he still goes, though. But he, the whole way he's going, he's complaining. He's missing his favorite game. He's doing this. She asked me to go to the store. That's not out of love. That's out of duty. And can we live by duty? Sure. But I tell you the truth, it will be short-lived. You know, Jesus asks us to do things. You know, and every instruction that Jesus gives is actually, he empowers. The Bible says, or the Spirit of Prophecy says, all God's biddings are his enablings. All his biddings are enablings. So he asks us to do something. We're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go to church. Why am I going to go to church for it? The Bible says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together as you see the day of the Lord approaching. I don't want to assemble with these people. They're horrible. Can we just be honest for a half a second? <laughs> if you love him, you will obey him. And when you're not obeying him, be honest. In that moment in time, you are not demonstrating love. Notice. Instead of releasing man from obedience, speaking about the grace of God, it is faith and faith only that makes us partakers of the grace of Christ, which enables us to render obedience. Now, if I'm you and you're listening to me, I just saw an equation. So I'm going to highlight the equation for you. I'll read it again. Instead of releasing man from obedience, what doesn't release man from obedience? Grace. It is faith and faith only that makes us partakers of the grace of Christ. So if, if grace is provided, what do I need in order to be able to take grace in? I need the conduit of faith. Without faith, there is I don't have access to the power. Are you following? Without faith, I don't have access to the power. Like it's it's a worthless activity. Like it, it it's it's pointless. So I must have faith, and we're gonna make a distinction tonight. Like before we're done, we're gonna make a distinction tonight that if you get it, your religious experience will be forever changed. Okay. So the equation is: grace is provided to me; it's available. There's only one way to access it: faith. Kind of like the woman, not kind of like like the woman that had the issue of blood, and she touched the hem of his garment by faith and it was the power and the grace of god was released to her on demand because she held out her hand in faith god cannot that deny the hand of faith my friend it 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 provokes him to action <laughs> y'all not hear what i'm saying maybe i'm the only one that's experiencing it the hand of faith provokes god to action he cannot resist it your faith lays hold of his grace he must respond he must respond. So the equation, there's abundance of grace available for me. You can't get it by going and starting doing your own works. You can't get it by preaching about it. You can't get it by talking about it. 
You can only receive the abundance of the overabundance of grace by faith and faith only. That is the only way you can become a partaker. And then it says, which enables us to render obedience. So clearly in our equation, grace is available to cover our sins and grace is available to empower us to live, but I cannot receive the grace to live an obedient life unless I have faith. Does that make sense, everybody? <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping you got the equation. Grace plus faith equals a grace-filled, powerful, obedient life. But grace without faith in what the word says is available will avail us nothing. It will mean nothing. But let's go further. Let's go further. So do we earn salvation by obedience? Absolutely, a thousand percent, a gazillion percent. No, we don't earn anything by obedience. Obedience is a response to grace that comes from a natural flowing experience. In other words, I didn't make myself obey. <laughs> I'm going to eat right today. Okay, even if you ate right after you said you're going to eat right, it's not in the right spirit, so it don't count. You feel me? Like, it's, it doesn't... <laughs> The only thing that counts, I, 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 I don't know how to say this to you. Like the only thing that counts is that which is motivated by love, right? The only thing that counts is that which is motivated by love with the knowledge of God, receiving the grace of God through faith, and then that produces obedience. Because now what are you trusting in? The word of God. And grace is not simply forgiveness. Grace is the overabundance of the magnificence of the almighty God that is provided to us. It's it's infinitum in nature. It's almost like a, like a, it's like a, I'll say it in a very mundane way. It's like having a treasure chest. And every time you go to the treasure chest, there's new things in there and you can pull them out. Whatever you need, you pull it out. Oh, I need to, I, today I need love. Boom, pull it out. I need more love. Boom, pull it out. Oh, today I need uh, finances to advance the cause of God. Finances come by grace. Boom, pull it out. By grace, friends. Grace is this overabundance of the person and character of God provided to you and me so that we can live righteous and holy lives in this present world and in the world to come. Do we earn salvation by obedience? No. Ye know that he was manifested. Who was manifested? Jesus was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. 1 John 3, verses 5 and 6. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. In other words, if you're connected to the vine, you will bear fruit of that reality. If you and I are connected to the vine, We will bear fruit to that reality. No question about it. No question about it. So let's look at a couple of verses. I want you to look at the book of Ephesians. Go to the book of Ephesians. Take these texts down, my friends. This is our lifeblood. This is our lifeblood. Book of Ephesians. Ephesians. 
Galatians, Ephesians, chapter 2. It says verse 8, but I'm going to probably read a little bit before, a little bit after. It says Ephesians chapter 2. Huh. And I do want to read a little bit before. It says, uh, let's read verse number 4. Start at verse number 4. I mean, we could read the whole thing and never never be finished with this. It's such a beautiful, beautiful passage. Ephesians chapter 2, start at verse 4. The Bible says, but God who is rich in mercy. Come on now. <laughs> but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. Think about that, friends. Have he quickened us? That means he's made alive. Quicken us together with, with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. You see, I didn't make that up, huh? For by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a, what's it say? gift it is a gift of god not of works lest any man should boast now watch this part for we are his workmanship we are his what his workmanship i love i love that word those of you who do work like workmanship like work you know you do woodwork you know you do flooring or you you build or you construct i watch these men and women do these type of things i'm in, in admiration of the work and the skill that is necessary to put those things together i watch a potter and his clay and as he's doing his his craft or her craft i watch them develop this thing as they spin it and they put the water in and it's developing and going i'm like yo the bible says we are his workmanship The song just came to my head. I don't know why these songs come to my head. <laughs> but it says, uh, he's still working on me. Yeah, you guys know that song, right? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, God has a plan. And if we would cooperate with his plan, he has a path and a work for us to do that he has crafted in christ jesus and this work is a fruit of our relationship i hope you got that this work is a fruit of our relationship with jesus james go to james chapter 2 james chapter 2 verse 17. notice what the bible says even so faith if it hath not works is dead being alone what do you mean andre what do you mean? In other words, grace can only be actuated by faith. And if your life does not have works as a reflection of your relationship with God, then you have not really tapped in by faith. Does that make sense? The equation is immutable. The equation is perfect. So you cannot have obedience true obedience without faith that is connected to grace.
for faith works as the conduit by which grace comes in to provide obedience. But if you have works without faith, then that work is garbage. Psalms 40, verse 8. Psalms 40, verse 8. You know, my, my prayer, my prayer, my agony, my prayer with God. I don't want to be a fake Christian. I don't want to be a fake Christian. I want to be a real Christian. I want to be a Christian in my heart, in my reality. In Psalms 40, verse 8, the Bible says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is written within my heart. How do I delight in it? You can only delight in God's instruction if the law is written in your heart. If you find yourself like it's a burden, then you're not converted. But don't run away from that. I have some good news for you. But I just want to say, again, your conversion must be genuine and it will show forth evidence and fruit. John chapter 15, verse 10. Watch this. John chapter 15, verse 10. Notice what the Bible says in John 15, verse 10. It says, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I do want you to get this. These words are in red. Jesus himself is speaking. He's equating obedience and love. Are you following that? He's doing that. I didn't make that up. First John, first John. We were in the Gospel of John. We're going to first John. Here's a book of Revelation. First John, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. First John, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. The Bible says, And hereby we do know that we know him. How do I know if I know God? According to John. If we keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word. Now notice how he interchanged the word word and commandments. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Well, how do I know if I'm in Christ? If I love his commandments and I do what he says to do. Did I make that up or did we read that in the text? Did I read did we read that in the text? Somebody says, well, we're gonna compare and contrast that with the book of Galatians. Friends, all of scripture is connected. Do you love God? Yes, I love God. Do you obey him? Well, I do sometimes. I don't know. I don't some days I feel like obeying him, and the other days I don't I don't want to obey him because I just want to do what I want to do. That means you don't love God, not supremely. You love him a little bit, but it's not saving grace, my friends. It's not an abiding grace, my friends. But let's go further. First Peter, first Peter. First Peter, chapter two. First Peter, chapter two. And I want to read verse 21. First Peter, chapter two, verse 21. First Peter, two, verse 21. The Bible says, for even un here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, 
leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. So Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I have kept my father's commandments. The father knows that I love him and I abide with him. You follow me, he says. Take these texts down, my friends. Think about them today as you have time. Meditate on them. I want to be a Christian all the way through. Notice this. It says, the condition of eternal life is now what it always has been. Now, you have to think about this, please. When I read this to you, I need you to just, you need to anchor this in your mind. The condition of eternal life is now just what it has always been, just what it was in paradise before the fall of our first parents. What is that? What's the condition of eternal life? Perfect obedience to the law of God. Perfect righteousness. Now, my friends, I'm going to stop for a second. In the chat, I'm going to ask you to to give me an answer to this question. Why would perfect obedience and perfect righteousness be the condition of eternal life? Type in the chat. Give me a, give me an answer. Why do you, why do you think that is? If you're on Facebook, I haven't looked at Facebook here, but if you're on Facebook and you're listening, type it in the chat. Why do you think perfect righteousness or, or perfect obedience to the law would be the condition of eternal life. Why would that be? And it's okay. Just say what you think. That that would make you perfect in Christ, okay? Because it comes through faith in Christ, okay? I appreciate the thoughts. Very good. Anyone else? Why? Why would that be necessary? All right. Let me give it to you this way. Okay. Anything short of that is sin. This is true. This is true. Anyone else? Why would that be the condition of eternal life? Here it is. And I'm not going to be able to say it perfectly because this is a thought that I'm still ruminating on, right? I'm still thinking about. When you are seeking to bake a cake, I don't know the temperature that cakes have to be on, but let's just say you had the ingredients for a cake. And there, you know, let's just say it was an apple pie. It was an apple pie. It was an apple pie. You got all the ingredients but apples. Tell me, <laughs> if you bake the pie without apples, would it be an apple pie? Yes or no? That would be a resounding no. If you don't have the apples, right? If you don't have the apples and it's supposed to be an apple pie and you leave the apple pie with the apples out of the apple pie, it's not an apple pie. It's a pie of something. It's the same thing with the commandments of God. The very structure of life is equal to the law of God. Because you cannot have life without harmony in every facet of the ingredients 
in the commandments. So you can't be like, okay, we're going to keep the commandments. Um, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Um, and we're not going to bear false witness. But everybody's going to be allowed to steal. How's that going to work? Because if you break one commandment, you break in how many, my friends? All. If you break one commandment, you break them all. It's not like you break one, you didn't break, you didn't break the Sabbath. If you steal, you broke the Sabbath. If you commit adultery, you killed. If you bear false witness, you stole. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, are you following? It's intertwined. I, I, brothers and sisters, you gotta think about this. When we read stuff like this, you're like, but why? You need to say, why did they make that statement? Because any violation of any of these rules would cause disharmony and sadness and shame and sorrow. And we have to come to a point where we don't want this stuff in our lives. Watch this. If eternal life was granted on any condition short of this, then the happiness of the whole universe would be imperiled. The way would be open for sin with all its train of woe and misery to be immortalized. And this is why God put them out the garden. You can't get access to that tree of life after this. No, we don't want sin immortalized. Let me ask you a question, friends. Right now, there's a war going on in a different country. Thousands, yea, millions are being displaced for their homes. Do you want to keep this same world the way it is right now? Like, do you want to keep this going? Each side justifying why they're doing what they're doing. No, I don't want to keep this world going the way it's going. No, this is not a happy place. No, I don't want sin to keep going. No, I don't want my daughter to have to grow up in this mess. No, no, no. There has to be something better. And Jesus says, I have something better. That's right. It's straight madness out here right now. Eternal life, God's law, is perfect. And if he could write that law in our experience, to treat each other with respect and kindness, to respect each other's property, to respect each other's God, to respect each other's space and family, to respect each other's name, Please start thinking about the commandments in regards to relationships. Find yourself understanding more and more. So notice this. It says, if you give yourself to him, meaning to Jesus, and accept him as your savior, then sinful as your life may have been, for his sake you are accounted righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character, and you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned at all. This is when you accept Jesus. Now, let me just say this. When Adam was here before Jesus uh, came, when Adam was here, Adam could have lived a perfect life and, you know, won the day. But Adam failed. He did not win the day. And when he failed, my friends, it blew the opportunity for us to try to live holy and righteous lives without the indwelling of Christ. So Christ comes and lives a perfect life, dies a perfect death, 
raises from the dead in perfection, stands as high priest in the holy place as the perfect priest, and now has moved from the holy to the most holy place in heavenly places. All for us to intercede for us. Now, why do I say this? Because I'll say this this way. Humanity has nothing in itself to live a perfect life. So what has to happen? There must be a substitute. Jesus is that substitute. His life stands on record for us because he lived perfect from birth until death. So his life stands on record for us. If that was the end of the story, that would be great news still. But my friends, there's something more. Yes, he stands in our stead. Yes, his character stands in place of our character. Yes, we are accepted in the beloved. We are and looked upon as if we had never sinned. Can you imagine that, friends? Every morning when you wake up and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, every morning you wake up by faith, you accept Jesus. And by faith, the books in heaven read perfection. <laughs> you ought to get that. Did you get that? Every morning, every morning, every night before you go to sleep, every time you confess your sins, your name has Jesus' name written all over it. Your life is a reflection of Jesus' life written all over it by declaration alone. He declares it. That would be good news by itself. But friends, there's more. You know, so you know that friend, the, the saying he used to say, but wait, there's more. <laughs> there is. More than this. More than what? More than the declaration that God has declared you righteous, right? More than being uh, uh, counted as one who has never done anything wrong. More than this, Christ changes the heart. He abides in your heart by faith. You are to maintain this connection with Christ by faith and the continual surrender of your will to him. And so long as you do this, he will work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So you may say, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. So Jesus said to his disciples, it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Matthew 10.20. And I, I want to pause for a moment and acknowledge this reality. When I sit before you, because I'm sitting, I'm not standing. When I sit before you and I open the word of God and I'm sharing inspiration with you, or when you sit before others and you open the word of God and you're sharing and the spirit of God is there, it is not me that speaks, but my father, which is in heaven. Come on, man. This, there's, there's this intimacy that God has in this salvation process. Then with Christ working in you, you will manifest the same spirit and do the same good works, works of righteousness and obedience. Do you guys get that? So there's two main prongs there. One, in the theological terms, they call it justification. And the other is called sanctification. Justification, God has declared you good. He has declared you clean. That's why you can't effort yourself to come into harmony with him. You must accept him by faith that he stands in your stead. You are clean, my friends. You are clean, my friends. You don't have to do more to be clean. He declares it and you are. But more than this, he begins to work a supernatural work in your heart. 
where the spirit of God begins to dwell inside, where you become more kind and peaceful and tranquil. This is a supernatural work. This is not something that you efforted per se. This is God working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. This is the grace of God manifested in declaration and impartation. Oh, what love. Christ is everything to us. <laughs> He's everything to us. He is our goodness. He is our righteousness. He is our everything, my friends. That's why you and I, for a moment, can't just go out here and be like, I'm just going to do me. Don't do that. Don't try to leave your, your room today, your, your house today, go to church tomorrow, and go in your own strength. Don't do that. Christ is everything to us. He's everything to us, my friends. Everything. Let's go a little bit further. I'm, we, time to wrap this up. Oh yes, I have to. I have to touch this point. All right. So as I was going through the study, one of the things that was very, 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 very clear was that there's a distinction between belief and faith. Okay. The devils believe that God exists. The devils believe that God is powerful. The devils believe that God's word is true. You follow what I'm saying? James chapter 2 says, 2 verse 19 says, the devils believe and tremble. So we must come simply from a, a mental ascent to accepting that something's true. That is not the type of saving faith we're talking about. Mental ascent to something that's true. We need to go beyond that. What's beyond that? Belief plus submission of the will slash heart. Submission of the will slash heart yielded to him. This is what we're, so when I submit my will to him, so I believe and I submit. I should simplify my slide next time. I believe and I submit my heart and my will to him. Belief plus submission of heart and will plus my affections are fixed. What does it mean your affections are fixed? That means you have a focus. Your love for is intense. Right? So my belief plus my submission of my will plus my affections equals, what does it equal? It equals faith that works by love. In other words, my belief is inspired and moved by the submission of my heart and my heart is now connected to my affections. Now my faith, belief, is connected to my heart and my heart and I move by love. That's how it works. You can't have it any other way. They must go together. Now I'm going to read these last passages and we're going to call it a night. It says, there are those who have known the pardoning love of Christ and who really desire to be children of God. Yet they realize that their character is imperfect. Their life faulty. And they are ready to doubt whether their hearts have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. See, that was me, friends. I'm going through this study. I'm like, Lord, am I, what, what, help. <laughs> there are those who have known the pardoning love of Christ and who really desire to be children of God. 
yet they realize that their character is imperfect, their life faulty, and they are ready to doubt whether their hearts have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. Watch this now. To such, I would say, do not draw back in despair. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes, but we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off, not forsaken and rejected of God. Amen, friend. No, Christ is at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us, said the beloved John, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, 1 John 2, 1. And do not forget the words of Christ. The Father himself loveth you. Oh, friends, I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> Please, I want to give you a challenge. Go back, find every passage in the Bible, as many as you can. Start writing them down. Repeat them to yourself that talk about God's love for us, how Jesus is telling us the Father himself loves us. He's not casting us off because we've been broken and that we are messed up and that we haven't been the way we're supposed to be. He is desirous still of both you and I. It says he desires to restore you to himself, to see his own purity and holiness reflected in you. And if you will, but yield yourself to him, he that begun a good work and you will carry it forward to the day of Jesus Christ. That's a promise, friends. That's what we got to cling to. Pray more fervently. Believe more fully. As we come to distrust our own power, come on now, as we come to distrust our own power, let us trust the power of our Redeemer, and we will praise him who is the health of our countenance. Now, my friends, I've been saying this, I've been saying this the whole night. The faster we come to distrust ourselves, the faster we will become deeper and more consistent Christians. The faster you learn to distrust yourself. Don't trust yourself for a minute. Not 30 seconds, not 20, not 10, not one. The faster we come to that experience, the closer we'll come to him. The closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes. For your vision will be clearer and your imperfections will be seen in broad and distinct contrast to his perfect nature. This is evidence that Satan's delusions have lost their power that the vivifying influence of the Spirit of God is arousing you. Oh, what good news, friends. So when the scales of the enemy are falling off our eyes, we're going to see ourselves as we really are, and we're going to be like, woe is me. Man, I'm so messed up. I thought I had it going on. But this is evidence that Satan's delusions are falling off of us. No deep-seated love for Jesus can dwell in the heart that does not realize its own sinfulness. The soul that is transformed by the grace of Christ will admire his divine character. But if we do not see our own moral deformity, it is unmistakable evidence that we have not had a view of the beauty and excellence of Christ. So again, she, she makes these statements, and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I don't realize how ugly i really am yet however i see some right but there's still more that needs to be revealed 
Because when I see the beauty of who he is, the contrast of that reality in my experience will be definite and clear. So we must recognize our condition. Less of me and more of him. Huh. Less of me and more of him. The less we see to esteem ourselves, the more we shall see to esteem in the esteem in the infinite purity and loveliness of our Savior. A view of our sinfulness drives us to him who can pardon. And when the soul, realizing its helplessness, reaches out after Christ, he will reveal himself in power. Oh, what a wonderful promise. The more our sense of need drives us to him and to the word, the more exalted views we shall have of his character, and the more fully we shall reflect his image. Oh, friends, I want more of Jesus. That's you know, I was thinking about a person and I was not being treated right by the person. And then I realized, well, how can they treat me right if they don't know the Lord? Why do I have expectations on people who don't know the Lord and expect them to treat me with respect and honor and grace? If they don't know God, they don't know. So what does that do? You don't get mad at a blind man for stepping on your toes, right? If the man is blind, he's blind. If a sister or brother in church doesn't know Jesus, then what am I to be mad at them for? No, what I need to do is go to my knees. And I pray a prayer that goes something like this. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Father, please help me to be a conduit by which your spirit can flow through me that they may see Christ. But even if you don't, if they can't see Christ in me, Father, please reveal your son in such a way that they will learn to love you. And in turn, Father, they will be more loving and more kind. But my friends, if we don't pray prayers like that for our enemies, then they have no hope. And we, in our own minds, will then begin to treat them like enemies instead of treating them how the Bible says to, to treat your enemies. Do good to them that hurt you. And despitefully use you. If they smack you in the face, turn the other cheek. If they say, go one mile, you go two. This is a divine reality that only can be done by being connected with the Most High. So, friends, that's it for today. You and I, by our natural ability, cannot do good. But by faith, we can grab hold of that grace and allow that grace to be the conduit by which. Faith working by love creates a sustained and deep relationship with the Most High. And when we find ourselves out of the way, out of love with God, that is not a reason to turn back because he's not changed his posture towards us. It's in that moment in time that we acknowledge, Father, I'm not where I need to be. Help me. That perfect work that you've begun in me, please, please, Lord, help me not to give up on your word in my life. You pray prayers like that, my friends. You walk in faith, my friends, and God will do for you what you can never do for yourself. If you understood the word of God tonight, 
If you understood the word of God tonight, just type amen in the chat. If you understood the word of God tonight, just type amen in the chat. And I'm going to give you a challenge. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to give you a challenge. Praise God. Amen. 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 So here's my challenge to you. Here it is. Uh, sometimes I don't type my things properly. Let's see if I type this properly. So in this 24-hour period of the Sabbath, or maybe longer, shorter, take time to examine your walk with Jesus. That's what, that's what we need to do. Take time to examine your walk with Jesus. Examine whether you serve him from love yeah, or are you taking his love for you for granted? Do you serve God because you love him? I mean, really? Or are you just going through the motions? There's no, To me, my friends, there's no such thing as fake it till you make it. To me, it's you fight until you make it. <laughs> you fight until you make it. You don't fake it. You fight. You keep fighting. You show yourself, hey, Lord, I want to love you. Show me how to love you. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. You fight until you make it. You don't fake it till you make it. You fight until you make it. Because if you're faking it until you're making it, what's happening, my friends, is that you are being pretentious and not allowing God to work a supernatural work in you. So don't fake it until you make it. Number two, practical step number two, take time and write down why you love Jesus. And write 12 verses or passages that indicate God's love for you. And you know that there's this one this one key principle, and I and and you do this in marriage as well. You know, love that is not expressed soon dies. Like if you're not expressing your love for God, you know what I'm saying? Like so, love that is not expressed soon dies. So express it. Write down why do I love Jesus? I love Jesus because of this. I love Jesus because of this. I love and write as many as you can. Just write. I said twelve. I said twelve verses, but just write. Why do you love Jesus? Write it down. Write it down. Write it down. Then write as many passages as you can find in the Bible about God's love for you. You do that, friends, and it will strengthen you. It will strengthen you. When the enemy comes and tells you you're no good, you're a rotten scoundrel, you be like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Ain't nobody denying that. But God loves a rotten scoundrel. He came to die for a rotten scoundrel. He came to die for you. He came to die for me. Let's pray together, friends. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you and praise you for your grace and mercy. I want to thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. Lord, we are messed up. It's easy to point the finger at everybody else and everything else. But it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And Lord, we want a special revelation of your dear son. We want to see him as you give us the privilege to see him our eyes need to be open lord please open our eyes help us to see and then lord as we see your grace and walk in faith may we receive that grace and the abundance of your spirit in our lives that we will live holy lives to you 
Forgive us, Father, for being halfway Christians, which really doesn't exist. Forgive us, Lord, for having the form of religiosity, but not having the power of Christ in our lives. Please, Lord, you see me. You see me, Lord. You see each one of us. And I know when you, when I say you see us, there's nothing hid from you. So thank you, Father, for extending your love towards us, even though you see us. And I love, Father, that you see us not just what we are, but what we can become as, as we trust you. Lord, we love you. Teach us to love you more than anything else in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name and claim the merits of his blood. Amen. This concludes another episode of The Gospelpreneur. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends so we can all grow together. Until next time, be the abundance and be blessed.